message today is entitled, God Always Has a Plan. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, God always has a plan. All right? And God already began to speak that to us in worship, right? He's, he's such a faithful and good God, you know, through the uh, spontaneous worship and uh, that my husband was speaking and things. God just encouraged us that he is moving and wants to, to work in our lives. So he... Uh, he wants you to be encouraged and that he's not caught off by anything that is happening or will happen in your life or this congregation. I posted this quote by Corey Tin Boone online within the last week or two. She said, there is no panic in heaven. God has no problem, problems, only plans. That's a good thought, right, to keep in our mind. Whatever you might be going through, whatever we go through on the congregational level, whatever happens, God's not panicking about it. He doesn't see it as a huge problem that is insurmountable. He has a plan. God always has a plan. Say it to your neighbor. God always has a plan. Now, you and I may not know that plan. <laughs> and unfortunately, that's often the case why we're in the midst of these difficulties and these problems to us. We don't always see the plan, and that gets us a little flustered and a little out of kelter, but God always has a plan. Say it to your neighbor. God always has a plan. So we're looking, we're going through the book of Acts, not in its entirety this summer, but highlighting different things. So we're reading from Acts chapter 8, only the first eight verses. So follow along there on the, the PowerPoint. Remember Rabbi Michael spoke about last week, Stephen was the first martyr, and he talked about that. Uh, and so this is after his martyrdom, and it says, And Shaul gave his approval to this murder. Starting with that day, there arose intense persecution against the Messianic community in Jerusalem. All but the emissaries were scattered throughout the regions of Yehuda and Shomron. Some godly men buried Stephen and mourned him deeply. But Shaul sent, set out to destroy the Messianic community, entering house after house, he dragged off both men and women and handed them over to be put in prison. However, those who were scattered announced the good news of the word wherever they went. Now Philip went down to a city in Shomron and was proclaiming the Messiah to them. And the crowds were paying close attention to what Philip said as they heard and saw the miraculous signs he was doing. For many people were having unclean spirits driven out of them, shrieking. Also many paralytics and cripples persons were being healed so that there is great joy in the city. Amen. Continue to read the, uh, the rest of the chapter this weekend just to get the whole gist of the story and everything that took place. Hopefully you're reading through the book of Acts this summer just to be saturating in with us as we're, we're going through this message series. So the first thing I want us to look at as we read through this story is that Adonai can use difficult times in our lives. You see, God used the persecution here of the Kehilah for the spreading of the Bisarah. And as I uh, mentioned, Rabbi Michael spoke last week about how we should expect opposition. But I want to encourage us this morning to expect open doors uh, also from the opposition that may come our way. Many of the believers were forced to leave their homes and to go out. However, Adonai used that to open up the door for the good news to be spread. And that's exactly what Yeshua said would happen. If we look in Luke chapter 21, he says, But before, this, uh, before all of this, they will arrest you and persecute you, handing you over to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors. This will be on account of me, but it will prove an opportunity 
for you to bear witness. God has a plan. Say it to your neighbor. Always has a plan. For most of us, at least at this present moment, and that could change, we are not facing the threat of being thrown into prison. Persecution is manifested in different forms, which we've talked uh, about a bit. You know, uh, the recent Supreme Court ruling smacks in the face of our faith in the one true God of, of Israel and the infallible word of God, you know, that speaks to the issue of homosexuality. And, you know, uh, we can, you know, and we have, I don't mean we personally, but, you know, the believers in Messiah have, you know, received a lot of criticism, you know, uh, in the media since that ruling that we're narrow-minded, you know, we're uh, intolerant, we're prejudiced, etc. And the answer is no, we believe in the one true God and we believe in what his word says, right? But even a ruling like this can be an open door for us to share our faith with others because Adonai can take the persecution and use it to advance the message of Messiah. And when persecution comes, and not just persecution, but when we face difficulties, this was a difficult time for this congregation here in the book of Acts. We need to remember, as one writer put it, Satan is not sovereign, but God is. Selah. Satan is not sovereign. Now, sometimes it could feel like that because darkness rages all around us, right? And the evil seems to abound. abound. But Satan is not sovereign. God is. And in the midst of any personal difficulty, and again, I know God, you know, I mean, my husband doesn't know my message. I mean, he might have known the title because I posted it. You know, but I don't discuss my message with him. I know it was God leading him prophetically in the worship to encourage us because we face difficult situations sometimes and have problems that we're trying to wrestle through. God wants you to know that he's there in the midst of those. And Romans 8.28, a scripture that many of us could quote, tells us that, furthermore, we know that God causes everything, say everything, to work together for the good of those who love God and are called in accordance with his purpose. So everything that you're facing personally right now, no matter how difficult and painful it may be, and I know that there is a lot of pain that some of you are going through right now, no matter how painful and difficult that situation may seem to you, I want you to be assured that God will work it for your good because that's his promise. Now, you may not see how, and you may say, oh, you don't know all the details. I don't have to know the details because I know the God in whom we serve. And I know that he will turn everything around and work it for your good and for my good. See, this early congregation had experienced trouble. Think about it. They just lost a leader in Stephen. Some of them lost their homes. They lost the support of one another as they were scattered abroad. They lost safety and security. They were being hunted down from house to house. I mean, think about that. What that happened to you and me today? People came from house to house looking for us because we believed in Yeshua as the Messiah. <clears throat> what happens when a congregation goes through difficult moments? Well, I think we can learn a few principles from this first century congregation. And uh, I'm going to share those with us this morning. 
I pick it up from this passage and again from the entire book of Acts because they faced a lot of different difficult situations. The first thing is do not blame God. Why is this easy for us to do? Because when things go wrong, we feel like God could have done something about it. We feel he could have stopped it if it was hurt or pain that was caused to us. And this first century congregation could have been struggling with similar feelings. Where are you, Adonai? Why are you letting them persecute and kill us just because we believe in Yeshua as the Messiah? I mean, Yeshua raised the dead. He performed miracles. Why can't he perform a miracle and protection on our behalf? This thought process is not something new to us today, if you struggle with thoughts like this sometimes. We see it in ancient Israel. Often they were facing difficult situations. And they often questioned God and felt that he was to blame or that he had somehow forgotten them. The sons of Korah, who are mentioned in our Parsha today, and we're actually talking about them downstairs in the Junior Shabbat lesson, write this in Tehillim 42. They said, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning under pressure by the enemy? My adversaries taunt me, feel as if my bones are crushed as they ask me all day long, where is your God? Where is your God? And that's what the enemy does to you and me. Am I the only one that hears those things in my head? Right? So when something is, is, is you know, you're facing difficulty and challenges, pressures, whether it's at work, family, and here you've dedicated your life to God, and, and what's the enemy saying? Well, where's your God now? How come he's not helping your family now? How come he's not helping you at work? Where's your finances? Where's your God at? Where's he at? And it's a rhetorical question to cause doubt to come into your heart. Yeah, where is God? I want to tell you, God is very much alive, and God always has a plan. Turn to your neighbor and say it. God always has a plan. Okay, you're going to turn to your neighbor, and you're going to say it like you really, really mean it, because by the end of this message, you're going to believe it. God always has a plan. You may not be able to see it right now, and you may feel like there is no way out of this situation or this circumstance. There's no resolve. There's no way peace can come. There's nothing that can work for your good. But I want to tell you right now that that's a lie from the pit of hell. Satan is not sovereign. God is, and God always has a plan. He had a plan here in this uh, uh, first century congregation, and he has a plan for your life and for Beth Emanuel. So we cannot allow ourselves to be drawn into this uh, arena of doubt and unbelief. <clears throat> we also read it in Yeshiahu chapter 49, verse 14. God is saying, you know, but Zion says, Adonai has abandoned me. Adonai has forgotten me. And God goes on to say, you know, in the book of Isaiah, I can never forget you. You are engraved on the palm of my hand. I will never forget you. And you need to understand that, that you are precious in God's sight. And he will never, ever forget you. I, I would imagine that this first century Kehilah were feeling some similar things. Like I said, they were being hunted down, dragged out of their homes, thrown into prison, and even being killed. Yet we don't ever see them blaming God. See, unfortunately, just because we are believers does not mean our lives will be without pain or adversity. 
We will all walk through heartache and tragedy. We will all experience loss and walk through difficult seasons in our lives. And at times there will be battles that seem to go on and on and on and on and on. And you might feel like giving up hope and saying it's no use because if God really cared, he would help me. But I want to encourage you, God is not to blame. And he has a plan. And you stand and see the salvation of God on your behalf. The second thing that I think we can learn from this first century Kehilah, we don't want to blame God, but we don't want to blame one another. Philip didn't get mad at Kepha and Yochanan <clears throat> and say to them, it's your fault that we're going through this persecution and difficulty. Kepha and Yochanan didn't turn to Philip and say, it's your fault that all these bad things are happening to us. Again, it's very easy to be, look to blame something or someone when we're experiencing difficulty. But once again, pain, problems, difficulty are just a part of life. And we have to avoid getting a critical spirit about these things. I'm going to address a critical spirit right now. And now some of you are, are very new to the congregation. I'm sorry you have to hear this stuff. And I'm not directing this to any one person, but I'm addressing a critical spirit looking to blame and to create division and strife in the congregation, in your home, at your workplace. And uh, one writer said this about a critical spirit. He said it was an obsessive attitude of criticism and finding fault which seeks to tear others down. The person with a critical spirit usually dwells on the negative, seeks for flaws rather than, rather than good. And it goes on to say that, you know, people talk about constructive criticism. The only criticism that is ever constructed is that which is expressed in love to build up, not to tear down. And it's always expressed face to face and never behind your back. And that's what I want to talk about for a few moments. I'm going to share some things from my heart uh, that have once again you know, come to our attention. Um, it's not do, new. We've had to deal with this in the past. But I want to say it's something that has no place in this Kehilah or any congregation. If I were to have Ray and Ashley stand here before you, they could tell you they dealt with the same type of issues. I remember speaking to this issue the last time I really spoke to this seriously was during the building process. But people have been talking to others about the congregation and about us. Things are being said, said like this. Oh, it's not how it used to be. Things have changed. 
I don't sense the presence of God. Funny, as I just read the card from a pastor and, and the other minister who has ministered all around the world, their take on the service here was, wow, the presence of God was so awesome. Others have expressed this. I'm just going to sit back and wait to see what happens, implying that bad things were going to happen at Beth Emanuel. Not new. Those of you who have been here a long time know I have a metal plate and screws in my leg because I had a tumor in my leg. I had a surgery the, within six months of our marriage to scrape the tumor out, but it recurred. So I had to have a surgery the following year. And in that year, there were people in the congregation saying to one another that God was using this and I was going to die. Why? I, to this day, I don't know because, again, it was never said to, to me, right? It was told to me that they were saying this. Why was God going to use the tumor to kill me? I don't know. So that people are saying these things, oh, let's just sit back and wait and see what happens at Beth Emanuel. You know, I'm just going to draw back and, and wait to see. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen at Beth Emanuel. God's going to pour out his spirit. God's going to fulfill his word and his promises. Even as Ray spoke here, and uh, I believe Ashley, if he was here, if he could make it to one of these celebrations, he's clear in Australia, would say the same thing. You know, the best is yet to come. And I want to tell you, this week, we don't watch, it just, we don't watch Christian TV uh, very much at all these days. We mainly watch the Food Channel and the Car Channel. Most of the time, it's the Car Channel. You know, my daughter can tell you a lot about cars. She goes to these car shows with her uh, dad and stuff like this. But my husband, we were waiting to go work out, and he just flips it, you know, as I'm telling everyone, go to the bathroom so we can go work out. And he flips it, and it's T.D. Jakes. And he's there speaking to his congregation, and he's talking about not quitting because God has a plan, and to keep going and just don't give up. And he says this right as we're getting ready to walk down, and I knew this was the word of God to us because... This was the last thing on the, the slide, the movie presentation I had put up here for Beth Emanuel. He said, the best is yet to come. So what's going to happen at Beth Emanuel? Yeah, you can sit back and you can pull back. But I want to tell you now, the best is yet to come. You go ahead and pull back. You won't be a part of it. You won't. You won't. Your attitude should be one of working together. Right? As we shared a couple weeks ago. And if you didn't get your puzzle piece, you need to get it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to get the message I preached when we all pull together. We all are part of what God wants to do here. And instead of being critical and finding fault, we need to work together. And the funny thing is, not just statements about the congregation... People are going around saying things about our personal life, my husband and mine, exactly, that they have no clue about. Things that are not true, 
And they haven't come to me and my husband and even ask us about these things. Friends, it's simple Matthew 18 says, go talk to your brother. Right? And I have to say, again, I'm sharing my heart, and I'm sorry if this, you know, you're newer to the congregation, but sometimes, you know, we have to deal with these issues. It's part of the family, and we need, you know, to take care of family business. And as I said, I'm not speaking to any one person. I know it's a spirit that has risen its head once again in this place. And, you know, it did it during that building program, and we, we dealt with it, and God miraculously brought us through, and, and he's going to do the same now. But I'm dealing in, with this spirit because I'm not going to tolerate it. Because God doesn't want to tolerate it. Friends, it just shouldn't be. You have something to say to my husband and me? Come and say it. It's not easy being in my position. You want to try it for a week? Again, if I had Ray and Ashley here with, you, here with us, they would tell you the same thing. I've had people sit in my office with my husband and I for hour plus and tell us everything we were doing wrong. We just sit there and graciously allow them to express what they wanted to. Well, I'm sharing my heart. I want to say this. My kids have heard things that they should never have to hear about their parents. Never, ever have to hear. I'm appalled sometimes when my kids come and tell me, so-and-so said this. What? My kids have been in tears because of attitudes and actions. I said to my husband this week, I said, I'm reminded of being down at Brownsville. We went there for the leadership meetings. My heart broke as pastor's kid after pastor's kid got up and said, I turned away from faith because I couldn't believe what the body of Messiah did to my parents. Shouldn't be, friends. Again, just speaking from my heart, I'm going to go back to my notes here in a minute. My husband and I are big enough to take anything you want to share with us. As I said, we've been told many, many things. And as I said, when we were talking in the, the study a couple of weeks about pulling together, we get it, you know, that if you did, were leading it, you would do it, things differently. We get it. Ray led differently than Ashley, and Ashley led differently than us. But it's funny. I said that night, I said, we have been told at the same time, it's too hot and it's too cold. Then we've been told it's too Jewish and it's not Jewish enough at the same time. Okay? So you see what I'm saying? We have to lead and hear the voice of God. And as we said that Wednesday night study, we get it. We understand the seriousness of our role as spiritual leaders. That we will give account in a way that no one else will ever have to give account. 
And I just want to encourage you that there's power in the negative words that you speak about me and my husband, about this congregation, and about others. The rabbis talk about it in a story. There was a wealthy Jewish man, the rabbis talk about, who was nearing the end of his life, and he tells the rabbi that he wants to make amends to all those whom he hurt and had spoken by the words he had spoken. So the rabbi instructed him to take a bag of feathers and put one feather at the doorway to the homes of every person he had slandered. So thinking this was a pretty easy task, the elderly man got a bag of feathers and placed a feather at the entrance to everyone's home that he had spoken negatively about and had been critical about. Having completed the task, the rabbis, he went and asked the rabbi, what shall I do now? And the rabbi said, return to each home and retrieve every feather that you placed at the door. He says, but I can't. The feathers have floated off in the four winds. And the rabbi say, in the same way, you cannot retrieve the negative words that you've spoken about others. And the gist of the story is you don't know how far those negative words you speak will spread. It's not just words spoken about me. I've also heard wives and husbands speak critically about others, about their spouse to others. I'm just going to say one word, why. What do you think you will accomplish by speaking critically about your spouse to someone else? I'm just speaking from my heart. It just shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Your spouse is not the problem. I'm not the problem. My husband's not the problem. Your spouse is part of the solution. We're part of the solution. That's the working together that God has called us to do. God has placed you in that marriage, and it's not an accident that you're married to the person you're married to. And there is a working together that God wants you to do. And again, the difficulty that happens even in workplaces. I, mean, I started with here at Bethy Manuel and my husband and I, but it goes on and on. You can get a very critical spirit at work. And it doesn't help to solve the issue. When you blame God or you start blaming others, it doesn't help. The writer of this article gave, went and gave four reasons why, as if we shouldn't need them, but why we shouldn't be critical and seek to blame others. One, it's destructive to our walk, our witness, and our world. Yeshua says, they will know that you are my disciples by what? Say it. Your love for one another. So when you go and you become critical of your spouse to someone else or you become critical of your congregation to someone else at work or to someone else out in the community or your rabbis or stuff, hmm, oh, yeah, you're demonstrating that you're his disciple. Not. Not. It's harmful to our relationship with God because unforgiveness and unloving and critical attitudes we have towards other people. The third thing he says, it's harmful to our witness because the world is watching. 
they are watching. And it's harmful to our families, our congregation, and our workplace. You see, these believers in the book of Acts were not looking to blame one another or become critical of each other because they were now facing a difficult situation. In fact, we see quite the opposite. They worked together. If you will go ahead and read the rest of Acts 8, you will see that Kepha and Yochanan traveled down and joined Philip in Shrom and together they ministered the good news. They worked together. Yes, it was a difficult time that they were facing. They were being persecuted. They were being chased out of their homes and hunted down. But they didn't turn against God, and they didn't turn against each other. They work together. And as I said, that's what I spoke about a few weeks ago. We are called to work together. The hand cannot get annoyed and mad at the foot because it got caught in the door or stubbed that big toe that always gets stubbed. And this happened to be the youth lesson this last, last Wednesday night. Just because your toe gets stubbed, you can't now say at the hand, I don't need you anymore, foot. Because I am annoyed because I'm in pain. There needs to be a desire to support and work with one another through the pain and difficult situations. Think about it. If we put as much energy into working together as we do in trying to find fault with what the other person is doing, what the difference would be. So think about it in the workplace. It's very easy to find fault and what, who isn't doing what. But if there was a, and the word we, that we use there is that synergy, right? Synergy is where, you know, one, you know, the Bible says, you know, uh, five can put a hundred to fight, flight ten, ten thousand. I'm not quoting it correctly, but you get the gist of the scripture, right? Do you remember? So synergy is that if one person, you know, can pull, you know, ten pounds, two people can pull a hundred. Think about that in a workplace. Think about that in your home and in your marriage. Think about that in the congregation. Think about that in the community. So we don't want to blame God. We don't want to blame others and become critical. What we do want to do is look for the new thing Adonai may be wanting to do through the difficult and painful moments we face. As I said, in this story here in Acts 8, Adonai used this persecution to get the ma message of Messiah to more people. And there are many more examples in God's word to encourage us how God takes difficulty and uses it to bring good into our lives and lives of others. Of course, one of the stories that we are most familiar with is the story of Yosef. In the book of Bereshit, who was sold by his brothers, think of the pain that this young man had to fill. His own brothers, the ones he loved and cared for and had spent his life with, who ate, he ate meals with them. He, they, they were together in the same home. They betrayed him and sold him as a slave. And from being a slave, he was thrown into prison. But from that prison, he was brought to the palace. 
because God was working in the midst of the pain and the difficulty that he was experiencing. And God used that painful situation to not only save the Jewish people, but think about it. The rest of the known Middle East at that time, everyone came to Egypt to get food because the famine was all around the Middle East. So God saved the Jewish people, but he saved the Egyptian people, and he saved all the other peoples who traveled to Egypt because that was the only place where there was food. So was it a painful situation that Joseph went through? Yeah, I can't imagine it. I have five brothers and sisters, and, you know, I feel very close to my family. And uh, people have commented about that. I remember when Uncle Mike was out for the Abigail's Bat Mitzvah, and my family, you know, hanging out. And, and he, as he's leaving, you know, my family had left before him. He says, you, your family likes being with each other. I said, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. I can imagine uh, one of my brothers or sisters doing something like that betraying me that would hurt so much but what did Joseph say at the end you meant this for bad and for evil but God but God why say it to your neighbor God always has a plan God had a plan yes it didn't take away the pain that Joseph had to walk through and if that's what you think is going to happen, if that's what you think I'm going to say in this message, I'm not. I wish I could tell you we would never have to feel pain anymore, that we would never have any more problems in our lives. But, friends, that's just not the case. So, Yosef felt pain. He felt hurt. There's no way he didn't at what his brothers did. But at the end, he didn't blame his brothers. He said, God used this for good. We need to look to see what God wants to do in the midst of the pain we're feeling, in the midst of the difficult situation we're going through, in the midst of the problem that we might have to overcome. Turning back to the prophet Yeshiahu. Chapter 43, but this is what Adonai says. He who created you, Yaakov, who formed you, Israel, don't be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I am calling you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through water, I will be with you. When you pass through rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched. The flame will not burn you. There's an old song we sing to that. The point that God is trying to tell you, you might have to go through the flood and you might have to go through the fire, but I am there with you. And you will not be overwhelmed. You will not get scorched because I have a plan. Yes, you might have to go through pain. You might have difficulties. You might have challenges that you face. But I will be there with you and I will work things out. Think about it. Again, difficult moments are opportunities for God to demonstrate his power and might on our behalf and for the message of Messiah to be made known. What came out of Stephen's death and the following persecution was that Rav Shaul, the man who sought them and hunt them, came to faith in Messiah Yeshua. Probably one of the most significant born-again experiences of the new covenant was this man who was the one doing the persecution now came to faith in Yeshua as his personal Messiah. And that one man totally turned the known world upside down with the good news of Yeshua. 
Friends, that's powerful. And you don't know, but through the situation you're facing and the difficulty you may be going through or what we might go through as a congregation, that there is a person that God is going to use you to touch that will impact his world in such a powerful way with the good news of Yeshua the Messiah. And we need to look for what God is doing. As you continue on in Isaiah 43, God says, I am doing something new. It's springing up. Can't you see it? I'm making a road in the desert, rivers in the wasteland. That's what he did for the first century Kehilah. He took that persecution and he used it as an open door for something new to spread the Besorah, the good news, and allow it to flourish. And that's what he's going to do in your situation. He will turn it around. And I want to encourage you, and God wants to encourage you this morning, to look for the new things that he will do in the midst of the pain and the struggle and the difficulty that you're facing. So the second thing is we need to minister out of our pain and difficult situation. God always has a plan. Say it to your neighbor. We need to, to work with him. The people who were scattered abroad were not the leadership. It says the emissaries stayed in Jerusalem. They were continuing to do their part, but it was, in our terms today, the congregate members who were the ones who were scattered. They were ordinary people. Yet these ordinary people did quite extraordinary things. As Adonai performed signs and wonders to them, and what was the result? People paid attention to what Philip said. See, we so quickly read over these stories without stopping to think what these people, again, had been going through. This it was not an easy time for Philip or the others who were being forced to flee for their lives. It was not like they decided they wanted to go on vacation. Okay, let me just go on to vacation to Shomron. All right, let me, uh, just, uh, they hadn't decided, oh, I want to move to a new city. It wasn't something they decided on their own they wanted to do. They were driven out, and one, our version says it was intense persecution. However, they didn't go and hide because of the persecution. When you're going through problems and difficulties, it's not a time to shrink back, friends. It's not a time to crawl into a hole and, and say, woe is me. It's time to stand up to you on your feet. And as my son said, you know, let your, your convictions know that you stand for righteousness and you're going to stand for God no matter what happens. As we read in Daniel, the three Hebrew children, God is able to deliver us. But whether he does or doesn't, we will not bow and we will not bend. You know, Satan, you can throw whatever you want my way, but I am not going to stop worshiping the God of Israel and proclaiming the truth. And I remember saying those words to Ashley Crane when he came to visit me when we had found out the tumor recurred. And I could tell as he walked in to our living room that he didn't know what to say. And I said, Ashley, he can take me limb by limb. It's not going to change my faith and my desire to glorify God. And that has to be our resolve. No matter what you go through, no matter how painful it is, no matter how difficult it is, you're not going to let that difficulty or that painful situation pull you out and suck you out of the kingdom of God. You're going to stand up in the midst of that pain and that adversity, and you're going to say, I know in whom I believe, and I am convinced that he is able and faithful. And even if he does not, I will still worship and honor him with my life.
these believers in this chapter, they cooperated with Adonai's plan to do something new. They got up and continued in the practice of the emissaries, and they boldly shared who Yeshua was and what he had done in their lives. And they also began to move in signs and wonders. As I said, difficult situations should not make us shrink back. Think what would happen if these believers had done that. What would have happened if they had waited for the persecution to stop? Many people would not have heard the good news. Think of Rav Shaul. He says, five times I received 40 lashes, less one from the Yehudim. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. <clears throat> Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open seas. In my many travels, I've been exposed to danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the desert, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Did he shrink back? Did he say, oh, I can't do this anymore? No, he continued to go forward and to glorify God with his life, and that's what we need to do. And we need to share how Adonai has transformed and changed our lives. Bottom line, you, like me, can say, I was blind, but now I see. Anyone else? I was blind, but now I see. There's this story that an emissary to China tells. He says there was a Chinese farmer who had cataracts removed from his eyes at the mission clinic. So a few days later, the emissary doctor was looking out his window, and he noticed this farmer holding the end of a long rope. And in single file, holding to the rope, were several dozen blind Chinese who had been rounded up and led for miles to this doctor who had worked a miracle in the farmer's eyes. And he's bringing them all to the doctor. And that's how we who have received God's gift of eternal life through Yeshua the Messiah should be. We are so blessed that we want everyone to know. This week you need to take a rope out and go from house to house and from friend to friend and say grab hold of this rope and come with me because I'm going to share, show you the one who has forever changed my life and who has written my name in the book of life and he will do the same for you. So grab hold of that rope and come along with me. I almost gave you pieces of rope this morning. But I was busy cooking yesterday for the VIM with my husband, so that's the, the way we should be. Our lives have been changed and transformed. Again, doesn't mean you don't still have issues. You're going to have issues until you make it to glory. Yeshua says to us in Matthew 10, 28, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Friends, when it's all said and done, only that which is of eternal value will stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It won't be the status you achieved in life, the job you landed, the home you bought, the car you drove, the PhD you received. It will be what we do for the kingdom of God. So my suggestion is, let's get to work. There's a lot that needs to be done for the kingdom of God. There are people who need, like that Chinese farmer brought all those people who he knew needed to see. They're all around you and I, and we need to bring them to the only one who can open their eyes, the only one who can transform and change them. 
And that is, we need to, to move, just closing with this, in signs and wonders. When we started the series on Acts, we were encouraged that Adonai wanted to fill us with his Ruach and power to be his witnesses. And part of that includes moving in the supernatural. We need to overcome our fear and step out in faith to lay our hands on the sick and see them recover. The power of the Ruach is to anoint our speech and our action. After being beaten, this is what Kaph and Yochanan prayed in Acts 4, 29 through 30. So now, Lord, take note of their threats. And enable your slaves to speak your message with boldness and stretch out your hand to heal and do signs and miracles through the name of your holy servant, Yeshua. I want to just say this as we talk about signs and wonder. Number one, we cannot manufacture them. You can't fake a miracle. Okay? It's pretty simple. Secondly, God is a God of miracles who still wants to manifest his supernatural power in the lives of people today. He hasn't changed. He still works miracles. Three, most of the time, though, and this is the catch, he uses people like you and me. To be instruments. So the fourth thing is we need to be willing vessels. Yeshua promises in Yochanan 14, 12, I tell you that whoever trusts in me, will also do the works I do. Indeed, he will do greater ones because I'm going to the follow. Father, it's up to you and I to follow his example. No one will be healed if we don't lay hands on them. No one will receive Yeshua if we don't speak the message. One writer shared this, miracles are intended to grip the attention of those in attendance and point, th point them to their unseen Savior. Miracles will take place. When we become holy, when we allow the purifying fire of God to burn away the chaff in our lives, when we allow God's freedom to expose every secret place, when we become pliable in his hands, then God's supernatural works will follow. Yeshua said the kingdom of God is at hand, and he quotes the scripture from Matthew, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. As we step out, we need to remember that we are simply the vessels, and all glory goes to God. It's not you, and it's not me. I can't heal anyone. I can't perform a miracle, but God can through me. So how do we walk in the supernatural anointing? And I'm closing with this. Simply start where you're at. One, keep Yeshua at the center of your life. Two, believe that Adonai still works miracles. Three, believe he wants to use you. And four, step out and do it. Just step out and do it. What is the end result what happens as these early believers allowed Adonai to use a difficult situation for his glory? What happened when they cooperated with his purposes, even though they were experiencing much pain themselves? It said, great joy in the city. This world cannot bring joy. This world cannot bring true peace. The things of this world may bring some momentary relief. People may obtain some temporary satisfaction. For friends, great joy and true peace only comes through the Messiah. That's what I want to see in this congregation. More importantly, that's what I want to see in the community around us is great joy. Great joy. Friends, I want to tell you this morning, don't allow the circumstances or the situations in this world or in your life to make you think that God is caught off guard or not working in your life. Don't blame him. Don't blame others, but look for the new thing he wants to do in the midst of that situation. And even in your own pain, and even in that difficult situation, 
say, Hineni, here I am. And minister, reach out and minister to others. Let's stand to our feet. I'm going to ask Adeline and Evan to join me. We're going to open up here to the front to, to be able to minister. Uh, we're going to just uh, pray for anyone who wants prayer. just want to encourage you again, the power of prayer. Um, a few weeks ago, someone here was here. It was actually the anniversary celebration. My husband just asked me to share the story. So uh, he's having a problem with his hair. And, you know, it's, uh, he, he was losing his hair. So his wife asked if uh, Rabbi Michael could pray for him. And that week, you know, they called back to say his hair is growing back. Thank you for praying, you know, because he, whatever has caused this, I didn't get to talk to him. You can get more of the story but, from my husband, but he, he was having this, this situation. He had lost all of his hair, and they didn't know what was going on, and Rabbi Michael prayed, and then they called, and he left a message saying, thank you for praying for, for me, and then right afterwards, she left a message. My husband forgot to tell you his hair is growing back. So I just want to encourage you, again, God wants to move. Nothing is too insignificant to him. Nothing is too big for him. Whatever problem or situation you may be facing, God has a plan. Don't blame him, but look to him to be your deliverer and to be your source. So uh, Adeline and Devin are going to come on up, and I'm going to step down. You need prayer. Related to the message or not, it doesn't matter. You need prayer for anything. We just want to encourage you to come on down and uh, allow us to pray. My husband will minister, and then we'll come and close here in a few minutes. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my light, my salvation. Who shall I be free? Your salvation 
faithless You remain faithful You remain steadfast in your love to us, O Lord In your love, O Lord We bless you Adonai
still uh, need prayer, we're just going to invite you to come on down. I want to officially close the service with the ironic benediction. Uh, for those who are making it back tonight, we look forward to seeing you at 6 o'clock. Everyone else, uh, you know, join us. You know, if you're a lady, you know, tomorrow we're going to have breakfast together down at the diner for those who signed up. Uh, and otherwise, we'll see everyone on Wednesday night, new time, 7 to 8 o'clock. But Adonai said to Moshe, speak to Aaron and his sons and tell them that this is how you are to bless the people of Israel. You are to say to them, May Adonai bless you and keep you. May Adonai make his face shine on you and show you his favor. May Adonai lift up his face towards you and give you peace. May you walk in the peace and shalom of Adonai. May you have an awesome week in him. May you see the good things God's plan for your life this week. Amen.